As we approach the end of this earth as we know it, times are going to be tough, and a good confession of faith will be critical. Several years ago, the phone rang in my office. A sister was calling, and as a typical salutation asked how I was, I told her it was the best day of my life. She exclaimed, Did you hit the lottery? I happily responded, Oh, it's much better than that. I explained that if Proverbs 4.18 is true, and it is, then my path is getting brighter and sharper every day unto the perfect day when I see Jesus face to face, when I will be like him, where the Son is ashamed in his presence. The verse reads, But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. As children of faith, we get brighter and sharper every day. That is especially true as we go through the dark and troublesome times. If Romans 8.28 is true, and it is, and if I am seeking God with my might, then all things, meaning everything, is working together for my good. It is not optional. Everything must, especially including the dark and troublesome times, work to my good. The verse reads, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. Everything is working together for our good, all things. Therefore, our paths uh, grows brighter and sharper every day, and all things are working together for our good. So we can boldly say, Today, is the best day of my life, and tomorrow will be better. How true is this? Just as true as you and I say so. And remember, it is especially true through the dark and troublesome times. Dear visitor, have you yet to be born again, as Jesus says in John 3, 3? Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again means born a very real second time, this time of the Spirit of God. It surely will be the best day of your life. Today all your sin and shame will be washed away. Today all of Satan's bondages in your life will be broken. The bigger the better. In just a moment, I will invite you to follow me in a simple prompt. And if you do, Everything changes today. Everything. Here comes the simple prompt I promised. Click on the Further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the invisible kingdom of God. Now for today's subject. God said, Genesis forty-one fifty-three through 57. And the seven years of plenteousness that was in the land of Egypt were ended. And the seven years of dearth began to come according as Joseph had said, and the dearth was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph, what he saith to you do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians, and the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all countries came to Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn, because that the famine was so sore in all lands. 
God said Psalms 19, verse 9, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. God said John 10, 35 and 36, If he called them gods, unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest, because I said I am the Son of God? Man said, I must be honest. I'm a little terrified by the idea of my own death. What do you think my odds are, you know, of going to heaven? Should I ask my phone? Now the record. Welcome to God Said, Man Said feature 1,120 that will once again certify the marvelous supernatural inerrancy of God's holy word. All of these features are archived here in text and streaming audio for the building up of the faith and as a platform from which to fish for the lost souls of the sons and daughters of Adam. Every Thursday Eve, God willing, they grow by one. Thank you for coming. May the glory of God illuminate your highway unto the perfect day. The credibility of God's word has been challenged incessantly by carnaldom since the day their father, the devil, initiated the challenge in Eden. The drive to discredit is basic Satan-spawned carnal nature. From their brightest to their dimmest, they ridicule, malign, and vociferously challenge with nary a single victory to their credit. Yet they blindly soldier on. How foolish and empty. The Word of God penned thousands of years ago with no additions or deletions still stands supreme, while man's truth of yesterday is debunked by his truth of today. His truth of today will be debunked by his truth of tomorrow. Quite the contrast, wouldn't you say? Be of good cheer, children of God. They will not succeed in overthrowing the Holy Scriptures tomorrow. God said, man said, establishes the inerrancy of God's beautiful book using four proofing categories. One, archaeology. Two, prophecy. Three, God said, man said. And four, the historicity of Jesus Christ. You'll find these listed on the navigation bar to your left. Today's feature will be added to the archaeology category, which includes disciplines like geology, paleontology, microbiology, along with ancient historic and ancient societal records. The Bible's account of how it all began and what transpired along the way is the perfect record, miracles and all. Concerning its credibility, consider the following excerpts. In the following excerpts from Encyclopedia of Bible Life, you'll find a quote from one William F. Albright, who stood a giant in the field of archaeology. He was an Orientalist and professor of somatic languages at Johns Hopkins University. Albright was director of American schools in Jerusalem and led excavations in numerous places. A bibliography of Albright's work was written by Henry M. Orlinsky, where 473 items were listed. The following is from the Encyclopedia of Bible Life. Nothing that has happened in the past 50 years 
has put the Bible on sure a footing as the development of biblical archaeology. Without starting out to prove that the Bible is true, research has a posterior come upon facts confirming and illustrating point after point, especially of Old Testament record. Higher criticism has received the blow and must henceforth be considered only in connection with the findings of archaeology. We now know that Abraham was not merely a Mesopotamian folk hero, but a historic personality, though not contemporary with Hammurabi, whose date is about 2000 B.C., but between 1728 B.C. and 1686 B.C. We now believe with Albright that Jericho fell later than 1375 B.C. Confirmation has been found of the destruction and desertion of Shiloh by the Philistines after the Battle of Ebenezer and the capture of the Ark, 1050 B.C. Exodus has been confirmed with the discovery of Egyptian Tanis and Pithon, store sites of Ramses II. The antiquity of the Song of Deborah has been demonstrated, and the pushing back of dates of portions of the Old Testament once placed in the post-exilic period has come about. Ras Shamra in northern Syria has given us not only the lost Canaanite religious literature, but has helped us construct the progress of Israel's loftier religion by tracing its steps of ascent from the worship ways of its neighbors. We know now, since Megiddo and Ezion Geber excavations, much about the economic foundations of Solomon's kingdom and the background of his temple building and chariot cities. Cross-references synthesizing Babylon with Palestine history in the 6th century B.C. have built up satisfactory conclusions. As Albright has pointed out in Archaeology and the Religion of Israel, the most brilliant and searching scrutiny of science has not lessened the preeminence of the Bible as a masterpiece of literature and an absolutely unique religious document. Nothing has been unearthed which need disturb the faith of Hebrew or Christian, but much has been excavated which heightens their faith. No major contention of Scripture has been proven unhistoric. Those paragraphs were written over 70 years ago, and the situation for the higher critics has certainly not improved. The archaeologists' spades continue to dig, and God's Word is continually confirmed. You would suppose at least one uncontested victory for the doctors of unbelief, but alas, not one. A few final excerpts follow from Dr. Grant Jeffrey's book, The Signature of God. Dr. Nelson Gluick, the most outstanding Jewish archaeologist of the last century, wrote in his book, Rivers in the Desert. It may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference Scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or in exact detail historical statements in the Bible. And by the same token, proper evaluation of biblical descriptions have often led to amazing discoveries. They form a tesserae in the vast mosaic of the Bible's almost incredibly correct historical record. 
Another research scholar, Dr. J. O. Kinneman, declared, of the hundreds of thousands of artifacts found by the archaeologist, not one has ever been discovered that contradicts or denies one word, phrase, clause, or sentence of the Bible, but always confirms and verifies the facts of the biblical record. Well-known language scholar Dr. Robert Dick Wilson, formerly professor of somatic philosophy at Princeton Theological Seminary, made the following statement. After 45 years of scholarly research in biblical textual studies and in language study, I have come now to the conviction that no man knows enough to assail the truthfulness of the Old Testament. When there is sufficient documentary evidence to make an investigation, the statement of the Bible and the original text has stood the test. It's all true. Every jot and every tittle in God's beautiful book. This is the solid rock and the place to build a life that will last forever. The critics must criticize. That's what critics do. God, on the other hand, must be God. I am that I am, because that's just who he is. And all his words are true and righteous altogether. And yes, especially the miracles, end of quote. God said, man said, has reported on a host of discoveries that certify the accuracy of the scriptures, including subjects like Adam and his ribbed wife Eve, the fallen sons of God and demagogues, giants, a pre-flood average age of 912 years, Noah and the ark, Tower of Babel and one common language, Abraham and his tomb in Hebron today, Sodom and Gomorrah. Jacob's well, which you can visit today. Joseph the kingmaker, Moses and the Red Sea, Moses and the brazen serpent, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, David and Goliath, the crucifixion of the Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and so much more. As the shovels dig and the researchers search, God's word continues to be vindicated line upon line. Several examples follow. Some will add to what we have already published on a particularity. First, we will quote a passage from the scriptures and then reveal the discovery. Number one, Genesis 41, 53 through 57. And in the seven years of plenteousness that was in the land of Egypt were ended. And in the seven years of dearth began to come, according to jo as Joseph had said, and the dearth was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph, what he saith to you do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians. And the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn, because that the famine was so sore in all the lands. The marvelous story of Joseph and Pharaoh, and Joseph's transformation from prisoner to kingmaker in mere minutes, has been regarded as nonsense by the wisest amongst us. But wait! Was there such a time of famine that affected all the face of the earth? 
even as the Bible reports, the headline from a January 26, 2022 feature on Nature.com reads, Did a mega drop topple empires 4,200 years ago? Several paragraphs follow. The missing earthworms were a sign. As the archaeologist Harvey Weiss and his colleagues excavated the site in northeast Syria, they found a buried layer of windblown silt so barren there was hardly any evidence of earthworms at work during that ancient area. Era, excuse me. Something drastic had happened thousands of years ago, something that choked the land with dust for decades, leaving a blanket of soil too inhospitable even for earthworms. For Weiss, it was the start of a research endeavor spanning decades. He has become convinced that the drought of 2200 B.C. was not confined to Mesopotamia, but rather that it had effects around the globe. Once more, the Akkadian Empire was uh, not the only complex society that was disrupted or overthrown as a result. We've got Mesopotamia, the Nile, the Aegean, and the Mediterranean all the way to Spain, says Weiss. And all these places, he says, there is evidence from around 4,200 years ago for a drying climate, for the collapse of central authorities, and for people moving to escape the newly arid zones. Ocean sediments off the coast of South Asia record arid conditions in the region between 4,200 and 3,900 years ago. Nevertheless, a consensus is beginning to emerge that some type of drying event happened about 4,200 years ago across an extended area that had an impact on the people living there, even if it was not the global upheaval that Weiss argues for. It's pretty conclusive that the drying event of 4,200 years ago exists in the Mediterranean, said Nick Scrockton, a paleoclimatologist at Maynooth University in Ireland. The drought affected parts of the Middle East, but he says that the evidence elsewhere is inconclusive. The drought presumably made it harder to raise crops, meaning there would not have been enough food for the city's population, and the pattern was not unique to Tel Leland, an archaeological site. There were similar abandonments extending from the Mediterranean to the Indus, says Weiss. This suggested that the drought spanned much of Southwest Asia, leading to societal upheaval. There is evidence that the flow of the Nile River decreased from 2200 B.C. Weiss says the best explanation is a decrease in the monsoon rains that feed the Nile. End of quotes. The nature feature proposes a date of 3900 to 4200 years ago. Bishop Usher, a highly acclaimed ancient chronologist, published his book, The Annals of the World, in the 1600s and dated the beginning of the famine recorded in Genesis to 3,730 years ago. Concerning the dating of this archaeological discovery, AnswersInGenesis.org weighs in with their May 2022 feature, Evidence for the Seven-Year Famine of Joseph's Time Found. Excerpts follow. This evidence from supposedly 4,200 years ago is based on UTH dating, uranium-thorium dating, on a stalagmite 
Amamalu Cave in the Meghalaya region of India and is also listed in the most recent International Commission on Stratigraphy, updated to the geological timescale as the start of the current age, the Meghalaya. But the UTH dating method is built upon layers of uniformitarian assumptions and has been shown to be inaccurate. Even the Nature article admits to some problems with accurately dating the timing of this event. According to conventional Egyptian dating and using a long sojourn, Joseph holds high office under the reign of Sesostris III, 1878 to 1848 B.C. According to Usher's dates, based on a short sojourn, this would have been in 1715 B.C., with the famine then starting in 1708 B.C. Many city-states probably did collapse or move down to Egypt to buy grain and sell livestock. Towards the end of that seven-year period of famine, we read more about Egypt than the land of Canaan. As time went on, people ran out of money and bartered their livestock, lands, and ultimately their freedom to buy food, as mentioned in Genesis 47:13 through 21. It is evident that this drought was very harsh in Egypt and Canaan. While not deliberately meaning to, this study fits nicely with the biblical account of the famine of Joseph's time and closely ties in the paleoclimatic data when radiocarbon and radiometric dates are adjusted to biblical timescales, which shows a desertification creeping across India, Saudi Arabia, and northern Africa. All these countries and the rest of the Mediterranean and Middle Eastern region almost certainly came to Egypt for grain, end of quotes. When God's word reports on a matter, the truly wisest amongst us approach with their ear bowed down. Number two, Numbers six twenty-four through 26. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Evidence for the antiquity of this passage has now been found, reports the spring 2006 issue of Bible and Spade. More from Bible and Spade follows. Excavations in Jerusalem in 1979 and 80 by Gabriel Barquet turned up two amulets dating from the late 7th century B.C. They were found in the fourth of several burial caves he discovered on an escarpment known as Ketif Hinnom, which overlooks the Hinnom Valley, or Guiana, just opposite Mount Zion. Each amulet contained a rolled-up sheet of silver, which, when unrolled, revealed the priestly benediction excuse me, inscribed on them. Time magazine, reporting on the find, stated that this discovery suggests that at least part of the Old Testament was written soon after some of the events it describes. The discovery made it clear that parts of the Old Testament were being copied long before some skeptics had believed they were even written. The two amulets are evidence of the antiquity of traditions preserved in the Bible it also provides indirect evidence, as do the Dead Sea Scrolls and other manuscripts from the Second Temple period, of the accuracy of scribes who for centuries copied sacred texts. These startling new discoveries 
have laid to rest any reasonable doubts as to the authenticity of the pre-exilic data of the Silver Scrolls from the Kedah Hinnom and their direct relation to the biblical text. The initial doubts were based on lack of knowledge, doubts that have now been answered thanks to modern technology, end of quote. Number three, 2 Kings 23.11. And he took away the horses that the kings of Judah had given to the sun at the entering in of the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nethman-Melech, the chamberlain, which was in the suburbs, and burned the chariots of the sun with fire. Israel's Minister of Foreign Affairs published the following headline on March 31, 2019. Rare seal bearing biblical name found in City of David excavation. Excerpts follow. A rare and exciting discovery, a bula, a seal impression, and a 2,600-year-old stamp bearing Hebrew names were uncovered in the City of David. The artifacts were discovered inside a public building that was destroyed during the destruction of the first temple and were uncovered in archaeological excavations of the Javadi parking lot in the City of David National Park in Jerusalem. The dig was conducted by archaeologists from the Israel Antiquities Authority and Tel Aviv University. The seal impression dated to the first temple period, featuring the words belonging to Nathan Melech, servant of the king. The name Nathan Melech appears once in the Bible in the second book of Kings 23, verse 11, where he is described as an official in the court of King Josiah, who took part in the religious reform that the king was implementing. And he took away the horses that the kings of Judah had given to the sun at the entrance of the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech the officer, which was in the precincts, and he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. The title servant of the king appears often in the Bible to describe a high-ranking official close to the king. This title appears on other stamps and seal impressions that were found in the past. This seal impression is the first archaeological evidence of the biblical name Nathan Melech. Dr. Mendel Gberovich notes that the fact that this official was mentioned by his first name alone indicates that he was known to all and there was no need to add his family lineage. According to Mendel Gberovich, although it is not possible to determine with complete certainty that the Nathan Melech, who was mentioned in the Bible, was in fact the owner of the stamp, it is impossible to ignore some of the details that link them together. Bula were small pieces of clay uh, impressed by personal seals used in ancient times to sign letters. While the parchment that they sealed didn't survive the fires, that devastated ancient Jerusalem. The bula, which are made of ceramic-like material, were preserved, leaving evidence of the correspondence and those behind them, end of quotes. Number four, 2 Kings 16.20. And Ahaz slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, and Hezekiah his son reigned in his stead. Isaiah chapter 22.15. Thus saith the Lord God of hosts, Go get thee unto this treasure, even unto Shebna, which is over the house, and say. Second Kings 18.37 Then came Elimkin, the son of Hilkiah, 
which was over the household, and Shebna the scribe, and Joah the son of Asaph the recorder to Hezekiah with their clothes rent, and told him the words of Rabshakeh. Hayretz.com published an April 10, 2018 article with the headline, Hezekiah's seal proves ancient Jerusalem was a major Judaite capital. Several paragraphs follow. The, Han- the Hanukkah excuse me, miracle wasn't finding King Hezekiah's seal impression by Temple Mount. It was finding it inside the royal building in Jerusalem, where the seal had actually been used 2,700 years ago, proving its authenticity. The discovery provides further testimony to the powerful status of the ancient Judaite administration in Jerusalem at the time. Actually, we had already known the king's seal existed. Impressions from it have been making the rounds of the antiquities market for years. A simulation of the seal is even on display at the Israel Museum on loan from the Jessalon Collection. The uniqueness of the seal impression announced in December lies in its being a rare, solid piece of evidence that Jerusalem housed a major Judaite royal administration. Hezekiah is the ancient Judaite king about whom we know the most. He is extensively described in the Bible and is mentioned in Assyrian documents, too. The discovery of his bulla in situ is much more than just a cool find. Added to other rare evidence, it attests that Jerusalem and King Hezekiah's time was not some hilltop village, as some postulate. It was the administrative center of a Judaite kingdom. Shebna was there, too. L-M-L-K, the transliteration of four Hebrew letters on the seal, shorthand for belongs to the king, handles also bore personal seals, such as that of Shebna B. Shehar, whose seal was found both at Ramat Rahel and at Lachish, from the palace floor. Shebna was Hezekiah's scribe, according to Isaiah 22.15 and 2 Kings 18.37. But just having a similar name to that found in the Bible doesn't necessarily mean that this was the same person. There are other seals with names corresponding to administrative personnel, but until now, archaeologists had difficulty ruling that they were the same people. The current discovery of the royal and personal seal impression in situ and the excavations allows for these individuals to be connected to Hezekiah's administration and for the LMLK seals to be legitimately connected with Hezekiah, end of quote. The more the shovels dig and the more the researchers search, the more they find that the word of God is true and righteous altogether. We need to know it's true. Everything depends upon it. Choose God's word. Choose life and live. Choose the word, the inerrant truth that never changes. God said, Genesis forty-one fifty-three through 57. And the seven years of plenteousness that was in the land of Egypt were ended. And the seven years of dearth began to come, according as Joseph had said, and the dearth was in all lands, But in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph what he saith to you do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth. 
And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians, and the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn, because that the famine was so sore in all the lands. God said, Psalms 19, verse 9, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. God said, John ten thirty-five and 36, If he called them gods, unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest, because I said I am the Son of God? Man said, I must be honest. I'm a little terrified by the idea of my own death. What do you think my odds are? you know, of going to heaven. Should I ask my phone? Now you have the record.